So then I started tricking my brain constantly. Every time when I was really tired, they go, oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I would tell myself the whole time I love it. And boom, suddenly I started catching on. And then I started enjoying getting tired. Now I needed to get tired. It got, it got me a high, you know, getting really extremely tired. So, you know, I just forced myself. I always, I always tell the people I'm really good at telling myself what to do. And apparently I believe myself as well because it works. It works all the time. looking for a high energy competitive way to get your team to compete while training athleticism hand-eye coordination and lateral quickness if so you got to check out spike ball top high school college and professional athletes around the world are using spike ball as a fun and safe competition to start their training sessions practices and workouts it's also a tremendous way to train your routines and releases and build that elite mindset as a listener to the peak performance podcast you can get a free spike ball set by visiting briancane.com slash spike ball. Again, that's briancane.com slash spike ball because if you're not playing spike ball, you're just playing games. If your body could talk, what would it tell you? Know your body, transform your life. That's the motto of DexaFit, the best in helping you know your numbers. DexaFit shows you exactly how your body composition, cardiovascular fitness, and metabolic health compares to the optimal standard. We know that measurement equals motivation, and DexaFit measures your progress while providing the diet and fitness plan customized for your body. DexaFit is providing a tremendous opportunity for listeners of the Peak Performance Podcast to get their first scan at a discounted rate. Go to briancane.com slash DexaFit. That's briancane.com slash D-E-X-A-F-I-T right now to learn more. Hey, how you doing? Brian Kane, your Peak Performance Coach here. And this week, we're honored to have as our guest on the Peak Performance Podcast, an MMA legend, UFC World Champion, and UFC Hall of Famer, Boss Rutten. Boss is a retired Dutch MMA fighter, a Taekwondo black belt, Muay Thai kickboxer, and former professional wrestler. He was a UFC heavyweight champion and a three-time King of Pancrase world champion and finished his career with an unthinkable 22-fight unbeaten streak. Fight Metrics, the official statistics provider for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, ran numbers on Rutan's career. Check this out. They statistically proved that he belongs not only in the UFC Hall of Fame, but near or on top of the list of the greatest fighters of all time. In the four hours, 27 minutes, and eight seconds he spent as a professional fighter, Rutan scored 13 knockdowns without getting dropped himself. His significant strike accuracy was 70.6, the highest fight metric ever. Ever recorded. He attempted a record 53 submissions and successfully swept his opponents a record 46 times. He is currently a co-host of Inside MMA and is known for his charisma, good looks, great dance moves, and devastating liver kicks. He has capitalized on his celebrity status since retiring from fighting in 1999, working as a MMA commentator and appearing in numerous television shows, movies, and video games. A living legend, please. Welcome to the Peak Performance Podcast, fighting out of Tilburg, Netherlands, the former UFC heavyweight champion, former three-time king of Pancrase and UFC Hall of Famer, Bass El Guapo! <laughs> <laughs> 
Haas. Thanks for, thanks for joining Woo! us on the podcast, man. <laughs> that was crazy. I love those statistics. You know, that was the first time I actually found out things about myself when I heard those statistics. I go, man, oh, that's actually pretty cool. Very nice. Thank you very much, Mr. Buffer. Yeah, fantastic. Well, boss, thanks for joining us here, man. And, and you know, for all of our listeners that are, that are uh, you know, mostly coaches and athletes, you know, they all watch the UFC. They all watch mixed martial arts fighting. And, and they all want to know, man, how much of that is a mindset and how much of that is a mental game? What do you think? It, it, it's it's all, uh, all about the mind. You know, everything is created in the mind. I always tell the fighters, you know, it, 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 we we're just talking about it. You know, everybody says, oh, it's a 50-50, 50% physical, 50% mental. I say it's not. It's a, Everything happens in the mind. The decision for you to get out of bed in the morning to get your breakfast is made up in the mind. And uh, and once you can control that, you know, then then it's going to be perfect because then you can be calm. And I, I and already talked to, I, I talk about this many times, calmness beats everything. I, when, when I see fighters getting beat up by their coaches of they're hitting themselves in their faces. And I, I think it's maybe for them to, you know, realizing they're in the moment at this moment, but you know, it doesn't work for me. You, you start over committing to punches. The mind is the master in everything in life. That's what I always say. When did you learn that? Is that something you had a coach ingrained in you or did you always kind of have that sort of you know, ice in your veins, cool mentality? You know, that's the weirdest thing. It's uh, I was a super aggressive fighter in Holland when I was Thai boxing. Like literally I would come out very technical, play my game. I would get hit once. I would destroy the guy. And it worked really well in the first 12 fights because I all knocked him out all in the first round except for one. So that worked really well. But, you know, once you start fighting like really tough competition, that's going to be a problem. So then at one time, but which also had a reason, uh, I, you know, I was I was partying, didn't train for three years. And I, I apparently I accepted the fight because I was drunk. I didn't know that I accepted it. And two and a half weeks before the fight, this promoter calls me, hey, when, where do I send the posters to? He said, what do you mean, what poster? I said, well, from the fight. I said, which fight? Yeah, your fight. I said, am I fighting? Yeah. So then we went over that, and I realized, oh, yeah, I kind of said that, so I'm going to have to do this fight. When is the fight? In two and a half weeks. Shouldn't have done that fight. But anyway, I lost, um, it, and that pretty much changed everything. It it, it, it want, didn't want me to f- want to fight in Holland anymore because the, the throwback I had from one loss was just insane. Everybody said suddenly I was the worst fighter. They forgot about the first 12 fight. So uh, then when mixed martial arts came along, you know, I started fighting in Japan. And I think it's maybe something with the audience. It was totally calm. And, and it's, I was in sh- while I was fighting, I would realize this is the craziest thing ever. I was so focused. I heard everybody talking. I, I was making moments. There's this moment that I drop him with an eight count. He goes down. And then my and your inner body wants to say, run to the corner. Because there in, in, in Japan, there were eight counts. If you run to your corner, as soon as you hit the corner, that's when they start counting eight. So uh, eight counts. So that means that every fighter, most of the time, they run to their corner in order to, you know, give the the guy on the on the floor the least amount of time to recoup. But I, I for some reason, I was thinking, I go, no, 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 I'm going to throw it the other way. So I stepped over him. I gave him this look. And I, I made eye contact, and then I walked really slow back to my corner. I thought that will intimidate this guy way more than when I run to the corner. And when when I came out of the fight, which I stopped in, in 43 seconds, 
and later on saw the, saw the magazines, like two months later, they, they sent me the magazines from the fight, and I saw my facial expressions. They were, I had no facial expressions. Like every Thai boxing match that I had in the, in the, in the past, every, my, every, I look like a complete animal. My face is like screaming when I knock people out, and there suddenly in Japan, it was total calmness. There was no facial expression. And that's why I always come up with that name of the poker face. You know, I, I truly believe that was when I really started putting things together. I was I was in complete control. It was really weird. With the fighters yeah. that you that you've trained and fighters that you work with, how do you get them to learn that? How do you get them to understand that you've got to be in control of yourself before you can control your performance and, and then learn how to control themselves? You know, it, it's a hard thing. And and, and again, the, the poker face competitors a lot of times with me. If they hit backs and they have to go really hard on the backs, they're not allowed to make grimaces in their faces. It needs to stay calm. Everything needs to be calm. You need to tell your brain that you're okay. And once you start squeezing your face muscles, you're telling your brain it's not okay. But the more calm you are, the better relax the more relaxed you are and the faster you're yeah, reflexes are working for you. So, and th the thing is, and you especially notice with mental coaching as well, of course, that, you know, a fighter can be really good in the gym, you know, and I can tell him all the tricks and everything works perfect in the gym. And sometimes you think, oh man, this guy is going to go far. But then the first fight comes along. And the first fight is, is very understandable. Everybody has that, you know, but once you go to do the second and third fight and you cannot control those emotions, then it's uh, it's going to be very hard for that fight fighter to fight out later on. So so what I'm saying is that you f see these guys who you think they're going to be world champion, but they can't perform under pressure. And what I do then to the fighter, because most of the time they're so uh, proud of that, uh, that they're going to fight, what they, they tell everybody they're going to fight. This is my first fight. I'm going to rip his head off. I'm going to do this. I'm going to... And I always tell them, don't say that. All these words you're going to have to eat up at, mo at the moment you're going to walk to the to the cage. And now all these people that you're talking to, they're going to be in the audience there. Guess what? Now you can't lose because you just said you're going to hit his head off. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. I said, now all that pressure you're going to carry to the cage. And most of the time, that's exactly what happens, and then they lose. So then I tell them, okay, let's the next fight. You won't tell anybody that you're going to fight. And we're going to take a fight out of state where nobody knows you. You know, if you win, when you come back, you can say, hey, I just want to fight. If you lose, you don't even have to tell anybody. And most of the time, that trick works really well because then there's no pressure. They don't want to lose. People don't fight for themselves. People fight for the audience. My biggest trick, what I always said, is that I fight for me. And it sounds very egomaniac, but, but it's not because they say, but you have to fight for your family because they need money. No, 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 no. If I, once I start being bothered by those kind of problems, I don't perform at my best. But once I fight for myself, you know, and I don't care what people say, because I, I learned that in Holland with Thai boxing, I said, I stepped away from it. That's it. Then, then you're much calmer and then you can compete at your very best. I think that's such a great point too that you make that you you know you've got to go out there and you've got to, you've got to fight for yourself because you're the only one who's in there, you know. And, and I hear I hear fighters a lot of times will say you know that my toughest opponent is me and my focus is on there going out there and executing what I need to execute in my game plan. Uh, you know, when you would fight, did you have a game plan that you went out there to try to to implement specifically for your opponent, or did you ever was your game plan kind of the I'm going to become the best the best mixed martial artist I can be and go out there and just trust my training and let it happen? You know, yeah, just my training, especially once I started learning the ground game. You know, I always uh, I had this thing, and and I still do that. I always think that I'm. Uh, 
I'm not as good as I really am. You know, I think it's a very important thing because I think people in general always think they're way better than they're they are. So for me, that was a way of always pushing the limits, always going harder and harder. And I think it's very important to train your brain like that and make sure that you know everything. So once I start doing the ground fighting and then everything started coming together and I got obsessed with the ground fighting, that's when I really started getting confident. And that, that's where, yeah, the real me was born. And, and you know what I always say as well, it's, 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 a, it's not about that. It's about loving something. It's, for instance, in school, what were the, the, the subjects you sucked at? There were always subjects that you had no interest for. All the ones that you excelled in were the ones that you thought was fun to do. So and that's the same with fighting. You know, if you're only doing striking because you feel great at striking, but you neglect the ground fighting, what I did in the beginning, you know, I real I didn't really like the ground fighting, but then I have I have always ways to force myself. I start tricking my brain, so to say, and I say, wait a minute, I'm going to see if I I can force myself to like it. Like for instance, I did this with getting tired. You know, I did not like getting tired, and since I had severe asthma as a kid growing up, that's probably where it comes from. But I go, man, this, <laughs> in fighting, that's not a good thing. You're gonna have to be. You're going to get really tired. So then I started tricking my brain constantly. Every time when I was really tired, they go, oh, yeah, I love it. I love it. I would tell myself the whole time I love it. And boom, suddenly I started catching on. And then I started enjoying getting tired. Now I needed to get tired. It got, it got me a high, you know, getting really extremely tired. So, you know, I just forced myself. I always, I always tell the people I'm really good at telling myself what to do. And apparently I believe myself as well because it works. It works all the time. Are there, are there ways that you actually train that self-talk? I mean, are there things that you do uh, to help you with that? Or is that something that you just kind of figured out over the course of your career? You know, it's uh, it's been always there. You know, it, it's, it's I, I think it all comes from, you know, I was, with the asthma attacks, for instance. You know, I, I would lay in bed and just sitting up, I needed to recoup, recoup from that. Like a minute, I needed to catch my breath. That's how bad my asthma was. I could not eat. You know, I, I very hard for me to drink. Most of the time, you know, you dip like a sponge in water and you hope that you can get it in because you're constantly, <laughs> you're breathing 24-7. But I was always telling my mind, listen, this is just for a week or for eight days. There are, spe- there are people out there who have that all year long. You know, I had eczema, horrible skin disease everywhere on my face, my hands. I had to wear gloves. You know, I got bullied a lot because of that, because they thought I was a leper. That's what they called me, you know, but always I thought there's people who have it worse, the people who have it worse. So I think my brain training started there. I told myself, no, don't go down. There's some people who can say, yeah, I do, but I had asthma when I was a kid and that's why it doesn't go for me very well in life. You know, that's BS. You got to step away from it. The class has always been half full with me. And I've been always that guy. But it's just tricking the brain. Well, maybe it's not even tricking. You just talk to yourself. And if you just lay it out, you know, then it's not really that bad. If you really go over a fight, this is what I tell my students. I say, you know, what is the worst thing that can happen? Say, oh, I'm going to get knocked out. Well, apparently you're not going to feel that. That's what people say. So what is the next thing? Tapping, is that really so bad? Well, if you let your arm be broken, yeah, that's a really bad thing. But for the rest, that's it. You can lose these two ways. You know what really is bad? When somebody completely dominates you. Like, I mean, he knocks you down, he steps back, he tells you, get back up because he just wants to beat you up. That that will be really bad. But with great matchmaking, that will never happen. And most of the time, that little talk that will do something to them. And that little talk I just had to myself before a fight in the beginning, you know, when you're nervous, I would say, what's the worst thing that can happen? There's a referee. You know, that's why I wanted, I didn't want to fight in the UFC in the first two UFC because the referee couldn't step in. 
that people go like, oh, I thought it's cool. I think it's tough when you do that. I think it's stupid when you do that, you know, because we saw many occasions somebody gets knocked out and while he's out, he's get like drilled in the face six, seven more times. Well, that could be permanent, you know, and I have a family that I love very much. I'm not one of those guys who says, oh, I'd rather die in the cage. Not me, dude. I would like to be with my family. If there's a way I can get out of it, I'm going to be out of it. It's going to be tough because I'm not going to let you finish me, but that I thought was very dangerous. But once they had a referee, what is the worst thing that can happen? The referee is going to jump in and that's about it. It's your ego. And once you can step away from your ego, and again, this is again, this is people outside. This is your family, friends, everybody who knows it better, but never been in a gym, they complaining about you. And once you realize that those people, they don't know anything. They don't know. They, they never did it. So why would you be bothered but what about what they're saying? And and when you let that go, man, that's freedom. You know, I love you. I love that. That's fantastic. And, and 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 boss, talk a little bit about kind of the maturity of the athlete and learning to just simply control what you can control and let go of what you can't. Well, it's it's just getting better all the time. You know, I always mention it's Oscar De La Hoya, George St. Pierre. There's a whole these bunch of fighters that always, you know, learn new things, evolving. I mean, that's that it's it's all about that. They all know it. They all say it in interviews, other guys, but they don't do it. You know, and that I don't like. You have a guy, oh, hit him in the belly because if you hit that guy, he he went five times down with a liver shot. So uh, chances are you're gonna drop him with a liver shot again. Can you imagine if you would be that person that they're talking about? If somebody says, uh, oh, if you fight boss with you, I hit him in the liver, he's going to go down. Dude, I would make sure 100% that you could never hit me in the liver. But for some reason, that person, every time they can drop him to his liver. This is a real person as well. You know, so I go, work on your weaknesses. It's, it's, so, it's so in your face, but people don't do it. And, you know, and once you do it, truly do what, you, what you're preaching, well, everybody can, can be good. I'm, I'm just a guy, just like anybody else, just hard work and dedication. You know, you run, you run a podcast that's one of the best out there. And, you know, on your podcast, you've had guests like UFC uh, fighters and champions, Dan Severin. You've had, um, you know, Hoist Gracie on there. You had uh, WWE uh, icon and creator of the Yes Chant, Daniel Bryan. You know, you've interviewed Dan Henderson, who just had a great fight with Michael Bisbing. Uh, what, are, what are some of the things that you have learned that have stuck with you from interviewing some of these icons in, in the world of mixed martial arts and wrestling? You know, it's all, we all have the same mindset. We, um, oh, and, and, and especially if you talk to the good guys, you know, in the, you know, if you talk to beginner fighters, they will have completely different answers than once they start maturing as well, you know, and, and they realize that, you know, Talking can put a lot of pressure on you. And, you know, if you talk like Dan Sev to Dan Severn, Dan Henderson, all these guys, Frank Shamrock, you know, like, and Frank is a good friend uh, of us as well. They're all calm. They're all relaxed, you know, and it's simply just looking at other people. I've been doing that my entire life. You know, in interview, if you hear somebody... And any artist, it doesn't really matter what artist we're talking about. It can be a musician, an actor, whatever. They always say, don't give up. As they all say that. You know, there's always that moment, you know, I wanted to quit, but then I pushed a little further and boom, suddenly there was the success, you know. And once you start listening and you realize that hundreds of great uh, stars are saying all the same thing, don't give up. So then you put it in your mind, don't give up. Now, and then if you talk to a Dan Henderson, yeah, that's calmness. 
Dan Severin, calmness. You already touched on uh, Randy Couture. We didn't have him on our show, but also everything is about calmness. And and you automatically, if you go over, the, you know, I, I I did it a long time back, but I'm I'm pretty sure that every other athlete that's coming up right now, uh, mixed martial artist, they should listen to that because they all pick out that similarity thing, which is being calm and just pushing. We're nothing special, you know, but just put a lot of hard work in, and that's the trick. Uh, boss, you know, I always always like to ask my guests, what, what's the book that you would gift the most to other people? Or what are the books that have had the biggest impact in your life? It's The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. I really took that to the heart. And and, and another book, uh, The Greatest Salesman in the World, I, I really like that uh, uh, as well. It, it takes 10 months to read for the fact that every chapter, there's 10 chapters, you're going to have to read three times a day. It takes about five minutes to read. You have to do it when you wake up, and then you have to do it during the day, and you have to do it before you go to sleep. And Matthew McConaughey was in the actor studio, and he, and he was talking about that book. And I go, hey, I would love to have that book. And there's all, there, these are all things that I already did. But what you're doing, you're just training your brain. Because once you, you read it three times a day, in like 12, 13 days, you memorize it. You can literally just say it up without the book, you know, and then you're telling yourself, telling yourself, and it always helps to know, to revisit moments, things that you already knew, but you know, you you forgot. It's like when I teach seminars, you know, I, I tell people bring a notepad, because I'm, I'm going to be here. I'm going to give you your money's worth. If I really want to teach, you're going to get five techniques in the next five hours. And you guys are not going to like it. So let's write down what we're doing. You know, So let's give you 30 techniques. So you're going to get your money's worth. But if you don't have a notepad, you're going to forget the first 10 techniques. You're going to forget because it's going to be an overload. And that's what I with this book. You know it. But once you read it, you go, oh, man, yeah. I used to do that, but why didn't I do, do, don't do this anymore? But you're training your brain. So those two books, I always tell people, get that book. Fantastic. Both of them are in my, both of them are in my, my collection for sure. And I would echo the same message, both fantastic books. And, you know, boss, I also like to ask uh, our, our guests, what are some of the habits that you have in your life or you maybe, maybe you had when you were, were, were still fighting? What are some of the habits that have helped you to be the best in the world? Um, you know, it's uh, habits. I th- everything with me is about habits. I I think that habits are the most important thing. Uh, there are, you know, it's uh, creating good habits. What I, I I have this speech that I do for these kids when they go from high school. I talk to these kids uh, from high school. Um, what is it? No, from middle school to high school. Oh no, no, sorry, from high school to college. That's it. And it's like five, six hundred kids I'm talking to, and I open with this one, I say, okay, who woke up this morning, by show of hands, who woke up this morning, hit the the snooze button, then 10 minutes later, hit it again, then 10 minutes later, hit it again, and then maybe after the third, fourth time, you finally get up, and boom, 90% of the hands went up. I say, that's a bad habit, and you can change that habit in a week, it will be gone. If you wake up tomorrow morning, before you go to sleep, now tonight, you're gonna tell yourself, tomorrow when I hit the alarm button, I'm gonna sit up in bed, I'm gonna walk out. I said, the first time, a little hard, second day, easier, third day, more easier, and in seven days, you created a new habit. I said, now the great thing, you can do this with anything in life, is just switching bad habits into great habits. You know, and, and that's what I did my whole life. I, I, I just find a routine, like my stretching routine. Many people always ask, what is it? Because you're always talking about this. 
my stretching routine has always been the same from the first day I started uh, competing uh, professionally till now I do the same thing and they say well why you, you have to do all these other stretches I said this stretching routine never and it's a short one it's a 10 minute stretch it never gave me any injuries why would I change a winning thing and that's what I do with everything always pushing the habits I tell myself tonight or today this morning I'm going to do 12 rounds on the back as hard as I can and because I I train my brain to do whatever I tell myself to do. I have to do it. I'm so bad that if I would not do it, if I would stop at 11, I can literally not look at myself in the mirror at that night because I'm ashamed of myself. That's how much I train myself to do what you're telling to do. Being on time. Those are things that everybody should do. Why would you be late? I'm on time for you. You'll be there on time for me. It's a very simple. That's why they invented time, by the way. You know, things like that. Just do that. And once you do that for a week, I have guys from Brazil who never did that. But trust me, a week or two weeks with me, Marco Huas, he showed up every single time on time. You know, and it's very hard for a guy who's been 40 years living in Brazil and who don't do that because it's just in their culture. They don't do it. But, you know, once you do it or once I'm saying at training at three o'clock and he comes in at 345. I'm almost out now. I'm almost done with my workout. Yeah, but I just arrived here. Yeah, because I said three o'clock. You know, now the second day, suddenly they're there at three o'clock because otherwise they're not going to have a workout. That's the way I do it. To me, they say, boss, I'm there, be there at 11 o'clock, but wait till, uh, uh, wait five or 10 minutes. Okay, no, you said you're going to be there at 11 o'clock. I'll be there at 11, you'll be there at 11. And not, if you're not, I'm leaving. Yeah, but can you wait till I'm there? No, you'll be there at 11. You know, and those things you can train with everything in life. And, and, and that I, Truly believe if you do that with your training methods, you you just become a great guy in, in whatever sport you do. You know, you talked about the importance of being on time, the importance of hitting your alarm clock, getting your feet on the ground, going out and attacking the day. You talked about the importance of habits. What are some of the other fundamentals that have helped you to be so successful? What are some of the other fundamentals that you've seen that if our listeners would apply in their life, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's uh, having a coach, right? Any of those things that you've seen that, that will help them to close the gap from where they are to where they want to be. It, with, with me, it's really weird. Like I, I've been, I taught everything myself. I taught the ground fighting myself. I had a coach in Holland and Amsterdam, but I, I went there 12 times in, in my entire life. It, it was really like just watching things. Don't be afraid of of seeing something and, and thinking that's it. Just because somebody does it or somebody writes it, that doesn't mean it's true. You know, I read on the internet, yeah, okay, never mind, dude. I need some proof here, that's what I'm doing. So what I did with ground fighting, for instance, I would simply, I would see a technique, and then I would say, wait, wait a minute, uh, a friend of mine, I said, do it on me. I say, I can do this and I can escape it. Okay, so how can we prevent this? And then I start working with it. And I think that is the most important thing. Now, the good thing was that I didn't have a, a teacher so that means I wasn't offending anybody. And I understand if you have a, a big name fighter to look up to, you know, you have to do it his way or the highway. You know, a great coach would say, well, like I say, you know, I teach only twice a week, but I tell my students, go anywhere you want, guys. You know, any gym, go anywhere you want. You know, don't worry that I'm going to be angry because I don't deep down, deep down inside. They're not going to get anywhere else what they're going to get with me because I'm, if I'm invested in something, I'm, I'm invested. If I commit, I commit. There you go. That's the habits. But... You know, since I didn't have that coach, you know, I, I, I could, couldn't offend anybody. So I would say, okay, I can make this better. Oh, that's an ego thing. No, it's not an ego thing. This is just from a long time ago, and I think I make it better. And then once you start working with it, you start understanding it better. You know, the, the thing that I always say to people as well, 
everything has a reason. A submission works a certain way. You know, you have to understand the submission. And, and 90 or 100 percent of the fights will say, oh, no, I understand. No, you don't understand. You know what it looks like. And, you know, because if you know it, more people will get tapped with a simple figure four armbar. But they do it wrong. The hand should be in the line or lower than your shoulders. If the hand is higher, people escape. You watch UFC, Bellator, big organizations. Once they go for that submission, they do it wrong. This is a white belt move. You know, so they don't understand how it works. If they would understand what would happen if you bring that hand down, whoa, now you can lift the elbow two inches. If you bring the hand up, you can lift the elbow all the way up. They roll out. I mean, once you understand that, then it's easier to absorb the techniques. And because I taught everything myself, I was understanding it because I said, oh, hey, that, it hurts there, hurts there. Okay, I can do this to escape. Try to stop me now. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. But still, I can escape. Then I would go for an escape and right away into a counter technique. Okay, now you, he knows this. Let's see if I can do another counter technique. Oh, wait a minute. A straight arm bar. Well, okay, I roll with my guy. I do it three times on him. Suddenly, he knows, of course, what I'm going to do because I have an certain path to that straight armbar. Okay, so now he can stop me. Wait a minute. Let's create a different way to that same armbar. Okay, I get creative. Find another way. Oh, now I tap him again. Also three, four times because my guy was a good guy as well. Okay, now I got two ways. Let's create another way. And once you start throwing those one, two, three, and sometimes even four different setups for the same technique, once you start mixing those up, you know, then you're going to be successful because then you're spinning the head of your opponent. If there's just one way to do it, well, everybody knows that way. How many times do you see a guy getting submitted by a certain technique that nobody did before? Then for two weeks straight, everybody's getting submitted with that technique. And then it's gone again because everybody knows the defense. So that's what I'm saying. In the beginning, all the way in the beginning, I made the mistake of learning to escape the armbar. And thankfully... Once I start committing and I got obsessed with ground fighting, oh man, I loved it. It's the worst thing that I cannot do it anymore because of my neck. But once I got obsessed with it, I realized it's better to learn the armbar. Because if you understand the mechanics of an armbar, you automatically know how to stay out of it or how to escape it. I love I loved how much of a learner you know you were coming up and, and being self-taught and, and teaching yourself how to, how to use all those different ground fighting techniques. Boss, now now that you've retired from from MMA, I believe it was in nineteen in ninety nine. Is that right? Uh, yes, ninety nine. And then I made one more fight in two thousand six. I thought I was injury free, but uh, the, all the injuries came back. I, I it was good. I stopped him in the first round, but it was really God telling me, okay, you it's done. You got to stop. Which you can see that fight if you go onto YouTube. You see he finishes it with a leg kick. I believe it was, wasn't it? That's it. That's the one. Love it. It's fantastic. What? How do you now that you've retired from MMA? You know, and I think a lot of fighters uh, that I've worked with, their their only definition of success for their life is if they get to wear a gold belt around their waist, and then for some of them that happens, and for a lot of them it doesn't. How do you define success for yourself now with where you're at in life? Ooh, that's a big one. How do you define success? Um, you know, do. Whatever you love to do, if you can make that your profession, I I would I would say that's that's it. You know, reaching uh, your goal of what you really want to do in life, what makes you happy, and if you can make that into there's this saying they have. You know, if you um, if you make uh, your how do how does it say that there's this uh, when mm, if you make your hobby your profession, you never go a day to work. That's it. 
That's what people say. But I think you have to choose it for the right reason. You know, when you want to do something because money and fame is attached to it, it's great. But, you know, if you don't love it, you're not really going to commit. That's what I always tell the people in school. You know, you excel at the, the things that you like and you don't excel at the things that you don't like. So pick something that you love to do. And it's not all about fame and money. It's about being a good person to others and just doing what you love to do because that you can take to your grave. That's that's fame for me. That's you know if people say, oh yeah, he was a great, he was in a boss Ruther. Oh man, he was a nice guy. Helped everybody. He was always on top. You know, on top of his things. And after they do a whole list about my persona and how I help people and what I try to do, and then at the end they might say, oh you know what, he could kick some ass too. But the most important for me is to be there for other people and 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 to help. So if you find something that you really love to do and you can excel at that, that's the definition of success to me. Love that. That's fantastic, man. Thanks for that. I only got two more questions here for you, boss. And um, the next question is, what's the difference between you had a chance to fight in, in the UFC and fight in Pancrase, and you also had a professional wrestling career? You know, and Brock, you know, like Brock Lesnar, you both held the UFC heavyweight championship. What's the difference as an athlete in MMA and then also, you know, going into pro wrestling? You know, thankfully, I, I, I did it in Japan. And in Japan, they call it strong style. And that means they use real submission moves. You just, you know, it's, it's you know, beforehand, of course, who's, who's going to win. But since I could never do this here in America, it's a different style. It's not, I don't know this style because it's not close to being real for me, you know. So when I... Um, uh, in Japan, well, it's all real moves that everybody uses. So then it's great. What I did realize, though, is that I had way more injuries in pro wrestling than I did in real fighting. And, and the reason is very simple. You let yourself get hit, something that I did not do in fighting. You know, and, and, and you know, if you don't treat it as a real fight, it's uh, like, um, how do I say that? With uh, If you don't show respect to a small weight, all the, all the problems in the gym they always help happen with small weights. And why? Because people don't respect it. If it's a heavy weight, now you watch your posture and you watch everything perfect. But if you pick up a little five pound weight and you, you do it a little wrong by, you know, you don't squat your legs and poop, something suddenly happens. And that's the same in, uh, in pro wrestling. If you don't respect it, because let me tell you, these guys here and, and over there in Japan also, but the falls they make, they're real falls, trust me. People break their neck all the time. Uh, they have injuries all the time because they, they do it 200 to 220 times a year. They just travel to the next show, daily basis. Oh, now my knee is hurt from the fight. Well, guess what? You're going to have to do 10 more in this in this next two weeks, and then you're going to have five days break, and then you can start again. So every injury prone, very injury prone, and that's what happened with me. The first one, I broke a disc in my back. Thankfully, without surgery, they healed it. Then I ruptured an eyeball. Somebody hit his finger in my eye because I didn't block it, you know, because it was in the script, so to say, that he was going to hit me in the face. And the third one was, oh, I ruptured my eardrum. Same thing, an open hand strike to my ear, which I didn't block. And my eardrum was broke for, for six, seven years. I, I could not fix it because I was traveling so much and flying so much that they can't fix it. Because every time you go up and you put a patch on it, so to say, it will explode again or have this chance to explode uh, to open up again. So it, it was useless. So that were, those were just my first three pro wrestling matches. My wife actually told me, why don't you go back to real fighting? I mean, you have more injuries now than you ever had in real fighting. So that, I would say, is the biggest difference. But then again, real fighting, you have to really commit. And you didn't have to do a pro wrestling. You can come by with just your basic shape, something that you cannot do in real fighting. You always have to push. My big rule is you can never have enough stamina 
in mixed martial arts and any fighting for that matter. Awesome. And, and, and boss, what the, uh, I just realized that you're also are, are a culinary chef and, and is that something that you go to, to kind of help you to, re, to, you know, escape the pressure and the, the competitiveness of MMA? Is it, how, where'd you get turned on to culinary chef? You know, that was my thing when I was a kid that I, I wanted to become a, a culinary chef and, uh, it was from like six to 10 and then it went away and suddenly it came back around 17 and I went to, uh, to school for a culinary school. And then I started working at 20, 21. I started working in kitchens. And, you know, one thing led to the other. I had a fallout with and, uh, with one of the cooks who was also the owner, who I helped for like two years. I worked there and I was, you know, I was a really good person to him because I, I you know, whatever I commit myself to, I really tried to do well. So I was a good cook. And I could do literally, my record was 42 people in one night that I did by myself. Wow. This is with appetizers, with main courses, and I would get them, not, not at the same time, of course, table of three there, four there, three. That I, I would take pride in that to see how many people I could do by myself. And then there uh, was one day that, uh, on a Tuesday, for instance, there's never were there more like eight people that came in. So I will prepare for 25 people just to make sure the mise en place, that's how they call it in France. Uh, that's the preparation for all the sauces that you have them ready, the basic sauces, because from a basic sauce, you can make all these other sauces, but there's a whole bunch of things that you have to prepare. And for some reason that day, uh, like 30 people came in. So I run out of the preparation that I had. So I run inside the house, which is where the head cook lived, the, the, the chef cook, and, and, his, um, uh, and he was the boss as well. And he started yelling at me in the kitchen. And I said, listen, let's stop yelling. Let's take care of these people first. And once we took care of these people, you start yelling at me and tell me what did wrong. No, no, no. And he kept screaming at me. I said, no, dude, we got we to gotta do business here. I mean, and then he said, and he kept on going. And he said, you do whatever I tell you to do. And I said, well, that is actually not the case. And he said, well, and he grabbed a big bowl of butter. And he said, if I throw this on the ground and I tell you to clean it up, you're going to clean it up. So I walked over to him. I hit the bowl of butter out of his hands. And I said, ask me. And that, that was the last day I worked. <laughs> and it was already the time also that I found martial arts. And uh, then I went away. I, I was I was heart, heart, heartbroken because of it. I, I did so much for that person, and then and to treat me like that. And he, he was calling me, you know, paging me. There was pages at the time, but I didn't react anymore. I said, no, 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 no. That was not cool. You know, I tried to save it, but um, that was it. So what I'm doing with that, I don't even know why this story came up because it's probably fresh in my head and still aggravating me. But yes, at home when I come, I like to cook. I like to do little things. I like to have friends over sometimes and then, you know, surprise them with a nice little appetizer, a nice bouillon that I made for three days. You know, I made it very strong, very, a very nice one and a good appetizer and then the main course and then wrap it up with, an, uh, with a great dessert and all made by boss. You know, that's kind of cool because most of them, they don't know. Well, my good friends know, but if you have friends who don't know it, you know, that's kind of cool because they go, you did this, <laughs> you know, then they realize, well, that was actually my profession. That's unbelievable. I, ne I never knew that. And, uh, unbelievable. A friend of mine, who's one of the top lacrosse coaches in the country, uh, Joe Amplo at Marquette university. He, uh, he's also a, a certified chef, certified culinary expert. And uh, I tell you what, being able to sit down and, and, and have some food that he's prepared is unbelievable. So boss, thank you for, uh, for taking the time. Our last question here, my friend is that, if you could, if you could remove the skull cap of everybody listening to this, again, our audience is coaches, it's athletes, people that, that you know, you you that, that you are, you're talking to yourself, right? And, and and if you could plant one seed inside of their head, 
about something that you know now with the life experience that you've had that you wish you knew when you were younger? That if they if that seed would germinate and they would do it and that they would improve their life, what would that seed be? Oh, you know, this is a thing I use, and I I don't have no clue who said that, and it's one line, and I tell everybody, and that should straighten everybody out. Is just say, uh, how do you want to be remembered? Just tell that person, how do you want to be remembered? Now, if you catch that person at the time that he's drunk and crazy, they go like. Do you want to be remembered like that? If you're a fighter or an athlete, let's say a fighter, are you want to be remembered the guy who was cheating or who had a lot of talent but never really trained hard and that's why he lost? Are you, or you want to be, you know, remembered as a as a as a good fighter, a guy? And even when you don't become a champion, you know, that guy that every champion even is afraid of because they know that if they're gonna step in with you, they're gonna have a hard time. This guy is always on. You know, that is a big question in anything you do. How do you want to be remembered when you're dead? And people talking about you. And then you can make your decision. And if you decide to stay partying, well, that's how they're going to remember you. If you think that's cool, you know, that guy had a great brain, but he threw his life away at partying. I think it's a stupid thing to have, to write on a tombstone. So uh, hopefully, most of the time, that straightens people out. So we got. So I have to ask you, how, how do you want to be remembered? Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of mentioned on that. You know, I want to be remembered as the guy who was a good guy, who would hold doors open for people, you know, if, if an older person comes in and I'm in, in in a bus and there's no space, I will be the guy who stands up right away. And I think more people, I, I've been shouting to youngsters, say, get up. I mean, there's a whole group of older people coming. You, your parents didn't tell you any, you know, I'm the guy who always tried to save everybody. You know, the um, uh, people, if they do something stupid in, in traffic and they start flipping me off and then suddenly they challenge me, I go out and I'm always put my hands up and say, guys, because once I step out, they realize, oh, they made a mistake. But I go, no, 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 <laughs> just want to talk to you. And then I explain them what was going on. I say, why on earth would you be so angry? You know, I always explain it to them. And all of them, 100%, always go, yeah, that was kind of stupid. I say, I know, just you know, next time, just think about it. You don't know situations from people. You know, people cutting off on the right and left and they're flying through traffic. Yeah, 90% of the time. That's a bad, it's just an a-hole that you, who, who, yeah, it's just a bad person. I, I don't like it. But there, I guarantee you there's that 10% time, the chance that maybe uh, somebody's in the car there, has a delivery, you know, baby, uh, it's almost coming. There, there could be a reason that he's speeding up. And until you don't know exactly what goes on, you shouldn't judge. And once you start living like that, I think you're a good person, and that's how I want to be remembered. People say, hey, he was a good dude, man. He helped some people. I mean, the emails I get from people uh, who have kids or the kids who are emailing me who have the skin disease and have the asthma, I mean, it's an insane amount, but I always make time, and I always make sure that I answer them because it's going to help them. You know, and if he can do that, and then at the end, like I said before, they say, yeah, you know what, and he was actually a pretty good fighter as well. You know, I, I, I think the most important thing is being a decent person to humanity. Do your part in humanity, I always say, you know, and, and then do the rest. Love it. Boss Rutten, you are off the hot seat, my friend. Thank you so much for making the time to be a, a, a guest on the Peak Performance Podcast. So much good stuff that you just gave to our listeners. I, I love that question of how do you want to be remembered? As you're saying that, I'm sitting here 
just taking notes. And, and, and that's a question that I think our listeners have got to ask themselves. And then with every podcast, I try to summarize with, with what I think the number one take home was. And I'm not sure I'm going to be able to with this podcast because there was so much great stuff. But I would encourage our listeners, start with how do you want to be remembered and make sure you go over to bossrutin.com. That's B-A-S-R-U-T-T-E-N bossrutin.com. Check out his podcast. Also follow him on Twitter at bossrutin, B-A-S-R-U-T-T-E-N, N-M-M-A. Boss, thank you so much, man. I can't, I can't thank you enough. Godspeed, Brian. I appreciate it. I loved it. Thank you very much. Are you receiving my Monday message in your inbox each week? Visit briancane.com slash Monday to join over 100,000 peak performers who receive a new training video each and every Monday. Thanks for listening to the Peak Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a positive review or share a link to this episode on social media using hashtag peakpod. Mention Brian Kane and one thing you learned in this episode for your chance to win a free ticket to the next Brian Kane Experience live event. Dominate the day.